Welcome to Kashris on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashris Magazine. And tonight's show, I think, is going to be very helpful and very interesting. Uh, I think everybody uh, knows some of a little bit what I'm going to be talking about tonight. And if you don't, so let me tell you. Number one, we're going to be talking about veg- these uh, vegetables from Israel, fruits and actually fruits and vegetables are coming from Israel. It seems that they're coming more and more and more, and we're going to have a special uh, letter and, and some information about that situation. And then we're going to be talking about uh, what's supposed to be uh, another scandal. I don't know if it is a scandal, another kosher scandal. I don't know if it is one or not one. We'll discuss it a little bit, and we'll sort of discuss some of the old kosher scandals and get a little bit of understanding. Some of the people forgotten everything, and some people never heard of these things, so we're going to be able to go through a lot of different material tonight. Well, let's start with the, uh, the fruits and vegetables. I'm reading to you an email from uh, one of the people that uh, communicate with me, uh, uh, Mrs. Salel from uh, Lakewood. Dear Abel Wickley, this is Mrs. Salel from Karen Hamaisris. Karen and Meisris is they take, help you take off Meiser, which is the, the whole problem, the trimness in Meisris, so they, they're helpful in that regard. We'll see in a second how. Incidentally, about 20 years ago, I wrote an article for your magazine on Lakewood. Since then, my husband, Zatzal, uh, became administrator of Karen Hamaisris, where we maintain uh, the, uh, the coins necessary for her freshest trimness in Meisris and help the public with the freshest trimmers and maestras. We also advise the public regarding fruit and fruit and vegetables from Eretz Israel that require freshest trimmers and maestras. Our rabbinical advisor, Rabbi Shaul Reichenberg, who is the administrator of Karen Maestras in Eretz Israel. Uh, as, as I'm sure you know, currently many peppers from Eretz Israel are available in Costco, ShopRite, Stop and Shop, and other stores. Many organic peppers come from Eretz Israel as well. In fact, Nature's Warehouse, which is a health food store in Lakewood, sells organic peppers from Eretz Israel, which they take the mice off first. The Bells of Vada Kashris from Montreal was in touch with me yesterday regarding pomegranates from Eretz Israel. See the enclosed. So she sent a, a picture of a box of pomegranates. It says wonderful, and then it says pomegranate, and then there's six of them in there. I said, whatever the number six is, I don't know if it's a, tel- it's a number here, but it seems that it's, it, it's the company's name is Miriam Shoham Limited from Israel. So if you looked at the boxes, you would see it. You wouldn't know that Shoham is the name, and you wouldn't know anything else by just the, by seeing the pomegranate. And they use the word sometimes grenade, which uh, I suppose is a way of saying it, uh, and, and, and it doesn't make much difference what it says there. You always have to look for the Israel. This is a product of Israel. definitely says so on the label. So that's what she wanted me to see. And uh, I've heard this also, that pomegranates are coming in now from Israel. Rabbi Reichenberg advised that all pomegranates from Eretz Israel could have a chashash of oil in the first three years after planting. You're not allowed to use it, and that would be a problem for us as well over here. In Costco, clementines and oranges are also available for, for Eretz Israel. So we've got oranges and clementines and, 
and pomegranates and peppers, you name it. We got plenty of stuff coming from Eretz Israel now. There's no cheshash of oil on these, on the ones, the ones, the clementines, the oranges, since three years ago with Shemitah. And thankfully, not too many new trees were planted. Here is a new one on me also. The only cheshash is on the Valencia juice oranges from Eretz Israel. So they have juice oranges coming now from Eretz Israel. And especially, you should know, there was a big problem in Florida this year with the, with, uh, the, with the eight elements because of the weather. So again, it's a, it was a very tough year for, for them there, and I suppose um, there may not be enough crops. So the fact that they're coming from Eretz Israel, they're probably going to be competitive. A Valencia orange, from uh, juice oranges from Eretz Israel, which are usually available in April, here they ripened early, and they've already started. They already started coming in this month. I was just speaking to one of our members, and he mentioned that he heard from you that the fruit and vegetables have stickers on them with the, the country of origin. Those stickers may not be accurate. Now I don't know if she's saying that I said they're not, they're not accurate, or she's saying they're not accurate because I don't, I didn't get a chance to speak to her since then. I wanted to clarify with that with you, since we always underscore to our members the importance of checking the country of origin before purchasing fruit and vegetables to ascertain they're not from Eretz Israel. Now, I'm going to give you her number because some of you might want to get uh, to help, the, help them arrange for you the, with our freshest trimmers and mices. They have a, a, a special coin that you need. And uh, if you want to speak to them, it's not, it's not going to cost you very much. I know, I know what it's all about. Uh, so you can, it's Mrs. Salel, and the telephone is 732-901-9246. And the fax number, 732-367-7917. And I just want to uh, make a mention, if my granddaughter is listening, Adel, I hope you finished all your homework, and you can listen to Zadie on the radio. Okay, now, I'd like to go on to the topic that, of the day. If you're, not, if you're not a person who picks up Lush and Hard Fast, which I hope you are, not, you're, you know, you're not one of those who pick up Lush and Hard Fast, you don't know what I'm talking about. But there is a, a uh, budding scandal, whatever it means, I don't know. I can't, we, nobody knows at this point. But in uh, Passaic, New Jersey, there's a uh, restaurant called Jin, J-I-N. It's a glatt kosher uh, Chinese restaurant, and uh, they, they've been in business for a bunch of years now already. But the hashkacha was removed a few days ago. And at that time, everybody came up with what's going on, what is going on. Now there is a uh, there is a little there was a press release or call it what you will that said that they're investigating and that there's you know there's, obviously there was a concern and they were investigating and uh, nothing has been made official yet. So what happened in all these situations is always the same. Everybody's going getting nervous and going crazy and worried, etc. Which we can understand because it's a takeout store as well as an eat-in. Some people who take home the little things they didn't finish, and then other people buy things just the takeout part and they have it in the houses. So they may be concerned that they are eating not kosher, and they have to kosher their kalim. And 
Really, what is going on over there? So rather than make a big deal about it, I decided I'm going to uh, find out the facts. So I contacted the head of the, uh, or- the Kashrus organization, the PCK, which is the Kashrus organization from Passaic. And uh, I'm not going to give you all the details because I, I really promised them I wouldn't be you know, publicizing uh, any, anything to directly with it. But when I'm, t- when I'm talking to you people, is how to understand the situation. Because there are those people who are shooting off and saying things that are wild. I want to tell you that on the uh, Internet, in this, uh, a website called Yelp, Y-E-L-P, there's somebody who in, on January 4th put up a, a little piece over there. He calls himself Moshe F. from Teaneck, New Jersey. And it says that he claims that he has a friend who is a mashkiach, or was a mashkiach, I'm sorry, at this particular restaurant, and that uh, they, they found the Chinese sneaking in kosher chicken, I'm sorry, non-kosher chicken, um, and other, many other cautious violations. And he claims that this is going on for a month or more, and and I can't understand why the organization didn't do anything about it. And I, I sent this over to the uh, Kashi's organization, and I asked them what their response was to this, what's going on here. And they answered me, Rabbi, there is not one word of truth in this post. <laughs> it seems, he says, you have no idea how much plain Shekha Muchlat Shekhar Mukhlat means 150, 100%, it means definite lies there is here. So I don't know what's going on. I, I, they're going to put out a press release. It was supposed to be done today. I didn't see it when I left the home. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to be today or tomorrow or soon. But so far, we haven't really been told what the concern was and whether, what level of concern it was. But absolutely, there was no statements the way the people are saying. People are making up some stories. People have maybe some reasons why they're making up stories. I don't know. But as, as with a lot of these things, you have to, you've got to get the facts, and you've got to uh, wait until the cautious organization put out the information. I will say that they should do it quickly, because people are very concerned and nervous, as they should be. When something like this happens, it, it, it conjures up the worst scenarios or the worst situations that happened over the years. And that's what I'm going to be discussing, some of the old situations, because I absolutely don't know what happened over here. And I'm sure in a day we'll all know exactly what they found and what the issue was. But it's important for us to note that uh, we have to be, you know, we have to be on guard. And, uh, of course, we have to eat, and, of course, we can trust uh, very serious cautious organizations. On the other hand, you have to know that there's no guarantees. It's it's sad, but there's no guarantees. Let me uh, start by telling you that the uh, the the problem of of people uh, you know of, of people cheating in cashless is not a new issue. It goes back very, very far back. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not of course, uh, 
we can you know be historians here. I'm going to share with you some of the types of situations that occurred over the years. In, 19, in America, in 1928, there was a crowd of a thousand people. They threatened to storm the Dubowski restaurant in London. This is actually not America. This is not America. This is, this is not. This is a situation not from America. I'm sorry. It, in London, they wanted to st- a thousand people were standing there to storm the restaurant in London, charging in 1928 that the meat being served was non-kosher. The police were called to disperse the crowd. In 1934, under the regime of the Third Reich, rabbis warned that German Jews were being given non-kosher meat that had been made to look kosher and advised the community they might need to forgo meat for the time being. In 1964, a French court sentenced two people for selling non-kosher meat as kosher in France. Though the punishment was relatively minor, they had to pay 100 francs, which I don't even know how much that was in 1964. It marked the first time that French Jews got, got legal redress in a kosher fraud case. Until then, the community, the Jewish community, had relied on unofficial punishments, including blacklisting, which means we call chayim, I suppose. American courts have taken a stricter and more punitive stance on cases of kosher fraud. In 1986, the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets gave a record civil penalty of $1,012,400 against Rachlef kosher provisions in Brooklyn. The company had fraudulently labeled more than 33,000 pounds of non-kosher tongue, 14,000 pounds of treif brisket, and 1,000 pounds of non-kosher brisket and livers. I don't know what's the difference between those two, but whatever it is, in other words, uh, they, uh, they, they, it was a phenomenal case. And in 1986, a million dollars was still something. <laughs> that was, that's, that's a little bit of a, an understanding of some of the stories. We're going to hear a little more. If you want to hear some more dramatic ones, I'll give you some of the more dramatic ones now. Uh, maybe I won't do it out of order. We'll do it slowly. <laughs> we'll get to it. Next, we're going to go to Muncie. Most people who are listening to me know about the story in Muncie. I don't like to mention names, and I don't want to go there. It's too close. If you're talking about 1964, I can probably mention the name, because that person isn't around anymore, the business is closed, and everything, etc. But I'm not going to go mention names from Muncie. Muncie was a terrible situation. and The state came in and took 15 cases of chicken from the store, store was called Hatzlacha Grocery, and also they had a thing called Shavach Meats, where he distributed. And the butcher sold chicken and other meats from a rented shelf space there, and they took the state took it to test it for salt, a key ingredient in kosher food, and it failed. It was treif. The chicken was treif. So that, that's real. State told me that. 
That's that, that is real. And um, what happened was this gentleman had been supplying meat in bulk to chasen halls, to yeshivas, to Hasidic camps in the Catskills. And that's what he was selling. It's, uh, it was a big one. Before that, there was the case over here in Brooklyn on Avenue J with a gentleman who sold, and he was also a distributor, and he sold uh, meat as glot kosher, which was only kosher, not glot kosher, which you can imagine is a very, very big difference. Because by that time already, there wasn't so much non-glot meat around. And obviously, the standard was far away, far different. Not just the question of the lung, but the kind of quality of, of, of kashras that the person who would eat at that stage would eat a non which was much lower standard than you were, you were used to. And it was being sold as glot, the full price of it, and it was being sold to other stores in our neighborhood. So many of the stores were distributing this gentleman's meat. That was a pretty big scandal, but I remember that very well, because right away, immediately, the rabbis in our neighborhood here met, and we were addressed by Rabbi Yosef Eisen, from who was involved with Kehila, he's still involved with Kehila Kashrus organization, and they gave a very full analysis to anybody who was who was present at that meeting, and there was no fear, or concern about publicizing it, and and they wanted everybody to know, and they never found Trafe, but they did find the non-glot, and of course the store was closed. Ashkoch was removed, the store was closed, etc., etc., but uh, it was, uh, it was, it predated the Muncie one. And really, many things predated that one, and we're going to go through some of them. But I, it, it's impossible for me to make a list. Over the, over the 38 years I'm watching Kashrus, there have been dozens of these stories. Most of them you have never heard about. Take, for example, Farakaway. Did you ever hear about Farakaway? No, of course not. Well, I'll tell you about Farakaway. In Farakaway, there was a restaurant. And the restaurant had two owners, a Shomer Shabbos and a non-Shomer Shabbos. And the Mashkiach observed the non-Shomer Shabbos owner, the partner, bringing in non-kosher meat to the store. And he blew the whistle. He told the head of the Kashrus organization there, out there in Farakaway, which was then at the Vada of the Five Towns, was under Rabbi Yosef Chait. Not Yosef Chait, it was, what was that? Moshe Chait. Under Moshe Chait. And uh, he told him, and immediately the Hashkoch was removed. I don't know if you knew about this. This wasn't something that made the papers was immediately moved, and, and Rabbi Chait did something that's very unusual, as far as I'm concerned. He paid that mashkiach for every week that he wasn't working. He said, if he gave up his job, then I got to get him the money. 
That's almost unheard of in the conscious world, unfortunately, because the average mashkiach who finds something and the and the hashkoch is closed, then he is out of a job. That's basically what happens in the in the real world. So uh, I I think that many people don't know that, and that's why it's such a special thing that Rabbi Chait did. I always remember it. And I and I, I remember the, the conversation I had with him about the whole situation, and it's it's a brave thing. I, I it sounds like nothing to you, you know. Of course you got to tell, <laughs> but maybe it really wasn't trade. Maybe this. Maybe that. And then you out of a job, and you don't get any money next week. It's it's a very it's a very serious situation. I don't know who's trying to bother us over here, but I can't take the calls. Um, so the. Uh, that, that, that's that's exactly what uh, happened there in Farakaway. But these things didn't just happen in Farakaway. Two stores within maybe a year, they were Chinese restaurants in Manhattan, both under a very responsible hashkocha. Both served treif. The stores, removed, the hashkocha was removed. The, the restaurants closed down very quickly. There was no announcement about them being not kosher. There was nothing there about not being not kosher. The restaurants closed down, yes, but there was nothing that was publicized about the, the problems that existed. In one case, the mashkiach observed the owner, who was a China, Chinese man, and uh, he seemed a little secretive, and he observed him taking something into his office and he checked it non-kosher chicken another case the other the other store which was also an oriental uh, restaurant oriental owner there was a uh, a, a door that led to um, that it used an escape door you use it only because of, uh, the alarm goes on when you open up that door. It's clearly marked, you know, alarmed. And on the other side of that, the owner kept the non-kosher meat. It was a fake sign. And the mashkiach was fooled for who knows how long. And eventually, he caught it. But that's the, these are the things that happen, and they happen not just once in a while. They're happening... Very often. We think of it as only occurring once every 10 years. And always over there, never here. <laughs> it happens here. It happens right there, right right where you are. That's where it happens also. And, it, and there's no 10 years on it. And we never really get all the information. We just don't. Uh, in, in some cases, maybe the Hashanah doesn't know the answer. But we're saying, well, there was knowledge, but it wasn't shared with the public. And that's that's something that most of us, you know, are getting a little concerned about. We want the information shared. If you don't know the information, which is the case over here in Passaic, they're not, they they didn't have all the information. They were doing their research, and they said we're doing research. So that's all they could do. That's what they. That's how they they dealt with it. And even though some people would like right away, you should say it's trafe, and everyone should kasher everything. I don't know if I'll be a you, you're mechuyiv to kasher 
when you don't know that it's treif yet. Uh, they, they just as a chashash, you can't make everything treif because a chashash, a concern, is not necessarily the same thing as the idea when you know something. So that's something you have to, uh, Rabbanim have to decide, and the, the people there in Pesach decided that this is not worthy of scaring everybody. We don't know the details, and hopefully few hours <laughs> know the answer to the question. But I thought that uh, Muncy is not just one, one story. My goodness, it has so many of these things happening throughout the years. Now, one of the things that uh, people don't know, and I'm reading it from one of these articles, which is what we're just about we're talking about right now, is that rabbinical panels often work in secret so it is hard to figure out when the rabbis will reach a decision or what it will be. And that's really a key, you know. They have to have the time to, uh, to, to look into things. You can't always just make everything uh, a treif just because you have a chashash, because you have a concern. Back in the Muncie situation, the, it seems the store owners confronted the owner, the, the, uh, the owner of this uh, establishment that was not that had the non-kosher chickens after they noticed the shelves lined with kosher meats even though his usual suppliers had not made a delivery almost immediately this is the thing it's interesting leaflets lined the the windows of the store telling patrons in hebrew that that store had been caught selling non-kosher chicken at synagogues and on the street, the rabbis instructed their followers to throw out the meat and to, kill, and to kasha their kitchen. So that's the way it was there. And that was a dramatic one, and that was found out right away, and it was publicized. What about in, in California, in Los Angeles? Seems there was a... This is only a few years ago. It's in 19, um, what, 19, I'm sorry, 2013. 2013, it must have occurred. There were had concerns about this particular store, but uh, they, you know, they, 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 he says, as, as early as 2010, they reported seeing some empty boxes, fraudulent labels, fraudulent tape, and uh, there were a number of cases over the years where the, this gentleman was found doing things that were issues, that were concerns. Uh, it, it, it made them very uh, skeptical, but they continued to give the hashkocha. And then they found that the, the gentleman was taking in treif. So that was what happened in Los Angeles in 2013. These, these situations have gone on and on and on. And... Uh, you know, it, the question is, how do you deal with it? Now, that situation there in, in the California, there was a thought of taking another hashkacha on top of it and continuing the, uh, continuing the hashkacha of that particular store. And they, they asked Rabbi Belsky how to proceed, and they worked on the basis of what he told them. So uh, that's, that's a, you know, that is the kind of thing that... that you know, people have to understand that the Rabbanim who have to make the decisions and you have to work with whatever they come up with. Now, we mentioned, uh, we mentioned that one. Now, let's go back to another one here. 
Germany a couple of years ago, maybe two, three years ago, wasn't a long time ago. This is not an old story. I'm going to uh, read you a little bit of it from here. We did mention it in Kashmir's magazine. Most people never heard this story. The owners of a Jewish butcher shop in Frankfurt were convicted, this is only a couple of years ago, of fraudulently selling their customers non-kosher meat. It was reported in the Frankfurter Allgemeine. The two men, it gives the names, the, the first name only, Leslie W. and Akiva H., they were 48 and 56 years old, respectively, went on trial last year, accused of conducting this fraud over a period of two years. For two years, they were selling trafe to the Frankfurt, uh, the, to the, uh, Frankfurt community in Germany. During the trial, Akiva H. admitted that he began selling the fake kosher meat in 2008, when threatened with insolvency, in other words, he was, he was going to be penniless, apologizing to all those religious feelings, uh, to all those whose religious feelings were hurt. <laughs> He's apologizing to those who their religious feelings were hurt. In other words, it was just business to him. And unfortunately, we were sincere about Kashrus. He was just doing it for business. Leslie W. explained that after discovering the fraud in 2010, he went along with it. He was afraid of the damage that such a revelation could do to his business. Chas v'shol and people should find out about that would be very bad, so he kept it going. It continued through 2012, for over two years. Uh, that's that's what happened. The butcher shop supplied kosher meat to a, a Jewish school, I suppose a yeshiva, a nursing home. Old people wanted kosher. Their families thought they're getting kosher, and he felt threatened with insolvency, and he's apologizing to those whose religious feelings were hurt. And that's how he treated the old people in the nursing home and numerous private residences, both within Frankfurt and other locales. The pair involved in the fraud were known as nice and gentle men. That's nice. Uh, who are well known in the Jewish community. Hmm. I knew both of them, says Joshua, he was selling uh, to the Jerusalem Post, and many of my Frankfurt friends, including myself, shopped there. Both received sentences of probation and fines, no jail time. <laughs> and Akiva H., the one who, I think that's the one who's perpetrated it. Yeah, he's the one who started the whole thing. He got a two-year suspended sentence and a nine uh, euro, nine thousand euro. Uh, it looks like euro, or maybe it's maybe it's. Uh, no, it's not. It can't be euros. They didn't have euros then. They don't think we're using euros. I think it's, it was, this were probably uh, Deutschmarks. Okay, so maybe it was nine thousand Deutschmarks. While his co-conspirator -co received a slightly lesser sentence and got a fine of seven thousand two hundred Deutschmarks, according to District Court Judge Jean Immerschmidt. The pair got off with such a small sentence because of the intense social ostracism 
and stigma they now face after abusing the trust and religious sensibilities of their, their entire community. In other words, they suffered enough. <laughs> they suffered enough because we, because we despise what they did. That's called suffering, and that's why they didn't go to jail. Wow. They're also required to pay a fine of 30,000 Deutschmarks to, a Jewish, to, to local Jewish sports. <laughs> that's considered to be a punishment. That they'll support the, they're going to be heroes because they support the sports. Somebody people say today is that, that sports is like a, is like the major religion of the of the country, of the country we're living in. Is the major religion is sports? That's what somebody told me. In any event, you see that they weren't given anything very severe, and that's one of the big, 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 big problems is how the courts, how the government looks at this kind of fraud. It doesn't see it as a very serious crime. I, I, I just want to tell you, I, uh, last week I spoke about a friend of mine who's, who was, uh, had eaten a non-kosher meal that came on a, an airline uh, on his trip to Israel. On the airline, they served a meal that had a shkacha on the top, the name of Hashkacha, and the name of a kosher caterer. And when you go under that seal, there's a little covering on the meal. And he didn't bother to read it. But after he ate the food, or while he was eating the food, he realized that the food was strange and had never tasted this kind of taste before. So he looked at the label on the packaging of the, of the dinner, and he saw their pork, Beef and cheese, which means it was basabacholov and and chazir, the two worst available in eating you can imagine, and uh, that's what he that's what he found out, and now he's in the process of trying to get somebody to own up to it, take responsibility for it, and it'll be very interesting because I I show him on the internet. There were a couple of cases, and uh, in one case, British Airways served something that uh, was vegetarian and not kosher, and they said uh, they sent an apology to the person. An apology. I, I am sorry. I'm sorry if it inconvenienced you. They don't get it. They don't understand what kosher is. And then I don't know if the fellow let him off or didn't let him off. But it seems that in another case I saw they, they, didn't give, they hadn't given the kosher meal, they paid him some money. Okay, but what about serving non-kosher? That was actually the fault of somebody in the, probably in, in, the, in the kitchen, uh, in the airline kitchen. Abay, yeah. what happens if they serve somebody that is alleged? I know I thought about that. I, I thought of that right that away. They were a police. A scandal, and there would be the government and officials, and there would be money, and they would beg them, and they would, they would go crazy. But this is just a religious thing that we have. Kosher is a religious thing. They don't get it, and it's. I don't know what's going to happen in the end, but he definitely uh, had a very difficult time. It, it hurt him. You know, a person never ate beef in his entire life, and he sees the symbol. He sees the name on the outside. Who is to think you have to check 
every little thing in there, in there, make sure that it wasn't put on. And it, we really, so far, we haven't figured out what happened because to cover that up, you understand, it's not like a, a little sticky label. That you, first of all, those labels don't kind of come off and go on easily. And it's not a cellophane. I thought it was really a cellophane. It's a mylar, which is, which is, um, it's seamed, like, like you have, like a bag of potato chip is seamed. It, it's not something you can tamper with and play around and close up afterwards. So you can't stuff this thing on another packaging so easily. So how did it get there? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not uh, sure that uh, you know that that it is the airlines. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm sure the Hashgach has nothing to do with it. But I'm not sure how it got to be where how it got there. We were doing a story about it in the Kashvus magazine. We're the only ones who know it. The whole thing, and I'm, I'm involved with the Kashvus agency and with the person, and uh, we're, we're you know we're trying to do uh, something that would. Make it so that we're going to protect the people a little bit for the next time around. But I, unfortunately, I have to say that if, if, I, if you ask me, uh, if I go on an airline, I'm going to look, I'm going to look up high and low. I'm going to make sure that the uh, that the Ashkach is on everything in there, and it's very, very uh, hard to, uh, to 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 duplicate this. I don't know if it's happening. In, you know, a, a, a number of times. Our problem is that the that the non-Jew wouldn't complain about such a thing. It's only we, and uh, you have to be able to catch it. If you didn't catch it, then you you've eaten it. So, so I don't know how common it is. It. They told me the conversation told me it's very uncommon. It couldn't be very common, but they're not so sure themselves how it happened. So it's uh, research. Okay, we go on. There is a gentleman, Timothy Litton. He was on our show one time. He wrote a book called Private Regulation in the Age of Industrial Food. It says kosher. It's called, I'm sorry, called, called kosher, Private Regulation in the Age of Industrial Food by Harvard University Press. It's a great book. I don't know if you if if you read it. I don't know if you you're reading things that maybe you shouldn't read about different people in the industry. Maybe you, maybe they're not always shown a favorable light. It's a question on that area, but uh, the information is very valuable and very interesting. And he's you know he he did it all with uh, with the cooperation of the different cashless uh, organizations, and I think he did an absolutely wonderful job. And he wrote an article which was, um, I don't know if I'm trying to figure out where this was. It's on Permalink, in Permalink. And he wrote for a few times on this thing called Permalink. And he t is telling us now about some of the kosher scandals over the years. In one of the most notorious cases, in 1906, a group of New York City poultry distributors organized the Live Poultry Commission Merchants Protective Association. Live Poultry Commission Merchants Protective Association, which fixed wholesale prices for kosher poultry. That's the price everybody had to pay. And forced poultry retailers to buy exclusively from the association. The association punished retailers who refused to cooperate by establishing 
competing stores that sold at lower prices. My great uncle was was shot at by these kinds of people. I don't know if it was this group or was somebody else. A, a, a car zoomed by and they had a machine gun and shot and he somehow ducked and he wasn't killed. And later on he went to the head of this group and he said, you know, they, they, they fought it out with them that they, I'm going to stay open. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, they wanted to, they wanted to get uh, to get uh, unionized. Could be it was a different group, but whatever it is, these these people were very serious. Now you'll hear the next part. You won't believe what I'm going to tell you. If you've never heard this, it's going to be a chiddush. But this is what really was the old days. Thirteen association members. That means the people who were who was fixing the prices of kosher, and punishing the people who sold at lower prices punishing them. Thirteen association members were ultimately convicted of illegal price fixing in 1911 based on the testimony of Bernard Baff, Baruch Baff, a poultry retailer. Baff's horse and chickens were poisoned. His summer cottage and one of his stores were bombed and he was gunned down and killed in 1914 in the Washington market by unknown assailants who fled in a getaway car. The Bath murder remained unsolved for several years, during which time the suspicions focused on the poultry distributors. But as it turned out, the murder was paid for by a group of 100 poultry retailers who resented Bath's dominance in the retail poultry trade. I don't understand it all, but it means that they didn't like him, and we did away with him. Were they Jewish? I don't know. I don't know. This whole thing was about uh, this whole thing was about kosher. I don't know. That's what it sounded like. So. Uh, kosher food certification day is cer certainly not a hotbed of extortion rackets and drive-by shootings. <laughs> you know that doesn't, that's not as uh, bad. You know, so obviously we have issues, but not on that level. That was that was back in 1906. That's that's the way the world was in those days. I mean, it was not just uh, you know in the books. It was real. I remember when I started in uh, by 1980 meeting with the uh, head of the kosher law enforcement for New York uh, and uh, Rabbi Rubin and he told me and in his in his time he was threatened by many people and the attempt at, it was, there was attempted murder on him because he was given heavy fines and uh, they they couldn't take it I told you in 1986 they gave out a fine that was him 1012. Uh, say one million twelve thousand dollars and four hundred dollars for this Rachliff kosher provisions in Brooklyn, and you give out a fine of over a million dollars, people are not happy. And he had many threats. Um, that that that's the time that I decided that I'm not going to talk about meat in a negative way. <laughs> I didn't. I I decided that I can't I can't go into a negative statements about meat. It's just too scary. <laughs> anyway, um, 
let's uh, go on to another area here. We don't have much time left. Canada. Oh, Canada was just like about two years ago. Maybe it's even less than two years. And uh, I spoke to the uh, to one of the heads of the uh, COR who was giving Hashkocha to this company, a distributor of different things, including cheese, kosher cheese. And uh, he explained to me exactly what happened. But I'm reading off a piece of paper, and I'll maybe sneak in a few words about what he said. Fake kosher cheese at kids' camps lead to criminal charges. It really happened here in Canada. In two, it's This was written in 2017, but I think uh, it was a little earlier than that. This was May 2017. The article was written. Maybe that's when the fine was actually given, but it's, but then it's even less than a year. For the first time in Canada, the country's food inspection agency has laid criminal charges against a businessman and his company for allegedly trying to pass off one of the mill food as kosher. Well, I can tell you that the COR told me it was not kosher cheese. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency has charged this name, the company and the, and the, the vice president, I'll skip the names, with sending cheddar cheese falsely described as kosher to Jewish camps in June 2015. The agency alleges forged documents. Oh, well, they, listen, they, were, they did all this stuff. Uh, let's just, uh, the gentleman who owned this company is 39 years old. And uh, we got fine, I don't know, we got jail time, whatever it is. I don't know, this doesn't talk about the, the, the result of the story. But it seems that there are two Jewish, com Jewish camps. One was a, a religious camp, a religious, religious Jewish camp. The other one was a more secular one, but they kept kosher. And both of them were sold the non-kosher cheese. Um, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency takes action if a label gives a false impression, such as saying the food is kosher when it isn't. Now, I forgot exactly what the reason why they were doing it. It could be it was just dollars or they didn't have enough. But whatever it is, they knew full well what they were doing. And uh, it seems that they, they did it to two places, at least. Children. And the other one had nursing homes. A fellow in, 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 in Germany. The people, the fellow in Muncie, he had the most religious people using his... <laughs> he, was a, he was a very uh, well-accepted individual in the community. And many, many, many people used it. At that time, right after that, I don't remember the exact time of the year the, the Muncie scandal was, but right around uh, Shabbos Tshuva time, I think it was, the Moshe Yeshiva of Shmuel Birnbaum gave a drasha, talking about David Amelech and uh, tying in his approach and mentioning this, this scandal in Muncie, it seems that Rosh Hashiva had done a simcha up in Muncie. He personally had not eaten anything, and they're not even sure if that particular simcha was uh, 
was supplied by this gentleman who would, uh, would use non-kosher chickens, but he was very moved by it, and he decided to get involved in kashrus. The end of his life, the last two years of his life, by Shmuel Birnbaum, and basically uh, he he made a valiant effort to, to call down the leaders of kashrus organizations and tell them what he demanded of them to straighten up the situation. I remember here in Brooklyn, after the scandal on, uh, I, I believe, I think we had it two times. I'm not sure anymore. The, the scandal in Muncie, for sure we had it. I don't think we had it. Maybe the after the Avenue J, they also had it. The uh, KIC, which was very active in those days and represented 60 rabbis in, in Flatbush, the KIC called a meeting, and uh, it was about 60 people in the, in the meeting, and I forgot who spoke, but uh, the, the main point was that we, actually I remember Rabbi Elephant spoke, and I forgot the rest of the people who spoke, but the, the, the main point that we were driving home was that we need to do something new because we have to make sure this never happens again. Of course, it's happened again and again and again. Uh, the distribution of meats has to be more carefully controlled. And there were discussions of how and this and that. And Of course, everybody went on, went away. <laughs> there was no committee and nothing ever changed. And we, we commented, nothing has changed. Oh, yes, but, the, you know, every, with everything investigating and looking into and trying and everything, it seems that these situations get forgotten, completely forgotten. It doesn't take a long time they are just completely forgotten. Now, uh, there was another situation uh, that happened in uh, Washington, D.C.'s only Chinese kosher restaurant. I'm looking at the story here. I remember a story. Um, I don't remember the city, so I'm not going to mention the city, but it's out Midwest. There was a city. This was a shock to me because it was the first time I ever heard of it, where the restaurant owner was a Shomer Shabbos, and he had served Treif. So uh, it seems that it's not one person one time. What causes it? Very often it's just money. Very often uh, the people who are very religious, they're really caught in a very bad bind, and they don't know how to get but they should just give everything up and not, not pursue that kind of a way. You know, it's it's just not. You know, it's beyond belief that somebody should make that decision. But people do, and uh, it seems the one in Washington, there was the, the non non kosher ducks was the issue over there, and I don't really know all the details. I don't want to start looking for it for you now, but there is a whole story there. We have about eight minutes left, and I want to take up another topic. Okay, I hadn't mentioned it. This is this is a story, not a story. I mean, a, a story that could happen in anybody's house. It's from uh, Rabbi Frankel in the uh, Mordechai Frankel from the Star K in the Star K's uh, publication, which is Kashrus Currents from last summer. I'm just looking at it today, and it it uh, it's a halacha that many people do know, 
may have learned it in your seminary class, maybe you didn't learn it. So we're going to just share with you how it, how, it's, how it handles itself out. Question. I made some dough in order to bake bread and separate challah. When I wasn't looking, someone inadvertently took that piece of separated challah and then they went back to the rest of the dough. Now that the, the, the dough and the challah are all mixed together, what do I do? So Rabbi Frankel answers, before we discuss how to proceed, let's clarify one point. The word challah has two meanings, which we know. Chawa, the, the bread that we eat, and chawa, the, we mafresh the chawa, which is a little piece we take in symbolically from the, from the old day of taking off chawa. And the, the, today there's no kohen who can eat it because we don't kohen and we don't know what, they, what their status is. And therefore, we take and we burn it uh, in, in, uh, so that it's, uh, we, we keep the, as a minig, we continue to do that in chutzlar. Remember, in chutzlar, it's, it was a lower level chiv anyway. But now, uh, when there is nobody to eat it, so that we're just, it's more symbolic, but you have to do it. You have to do it. And, uh, and, and basically, when you're buying, bre- buying breads and uh, cakes from stores, presumably they took off the challah. In the old days, in the boxes of matzah, it says challah genumen. I think it still says it. Taken off, challah's been re- removed. But that is sort of requirement, and the any hashkocha does make sure that somehow the chal is taken care of. But anyway, uh, so he said, Rav Yaakov Emden writes that this halacha bittel of being one in sixty applies only when the chal is mixed into a different dough, not when it's mixed back into the very same dough which the chal was separated. So we don't have the din of bittel. In our scenario where the challah was added back to the same dough, Rav Yaakov Endin Paskins, that bittel won't help. So the fact that there's 60 times as much doesn't help you. However, the majority of posts can disagree with this, and they say in this case the challah would be bottle. And he has a discussion about that from the Yaivetz, etc. And Orach HaShulchan, he brings a number of sources over here, the Masham, Chalkas Yaakov, he has a number of sources. But... Um, generally, this is, there is not a hundred times as much dough as there is challah, and we can't rely on bittel because some say the bittel needs a hundred. The question, therefore, remains, how should one proceed in that case? There's a halacha that a person who makes a nether may nullify his nether through the process of hataras nedarim. You can go, a verbal declaration that a piece of dough should be challah is like a nether. If you're taking this thing and saying, the hafrish challah menitsa, and you're pulling the thing out, so that makes it, it's called a neder. You, you made a vow that you won't eat this and that you're going to treat it like challah. Therefore, in our scenario, where the challah was mixed into the dough, the person who separated the challah should do hataras adarim, which is a very simple process, uh, not, not much of a difficulty, and he's going to explain it to you. You need a basin of three men who are over the age of Bar Mitzvah. So we're not talking about five, three rabbis with uh, 10 years of service. <laughs> we're talking about 13-year-old boys. Obviously can't be related, can't be your, your children, etc. That would be probably inappropriate. And that's Israel where the obligation of the separate hal is from the Torah, because I told you before that's a higher level, the members of the basin should be adults or older teenagers. 
So they, in other words, you could take very young boys, uh, your eighth grade son's friends, could be the based in to do that hot tarasadarm. The based in may include men who are uh, may, uh, may include men who are either related to each other or to the person performing that tarasadarm. So says you could take your kids. The three people do not need to be tamarachom, and they do not need to understand the basic concepts of hatarasadarim. They don't have to know anything that they're doing hatarasadarim. The person performing hatarasadarim should stand, and the basin sits. The person should say that he or she regrets having designated the doas chala, and that he or she, and had they had he or she known that it was going to be remixed into the dough, it would not have been designated as challah. Well, the way my Rebbe explained it slightly differently, maybe what Usher Zim and Zasais explained to us, is that he said, the feeling bad is not a reason for a Tarzadarah. I feel bad about it. But feeling bad could be the cause. In other words, you could say, had I known that I would feel bad now, I wouldn't have made the, I wouldn't have been mafish the which is the same thing he's saying, basically. He said, had I known that it was going to end up this way, I would never have done it. Okay. The basin should say, mutalach, mutalach, mutalach. Muta means permitted. All they do is say that three times. Mutalach, mutalach, mutalach. Say it in English. I don't know if you should say permitted, because matir is, it means to untie. Say it in Hebrew. Mutalach, mutalach, mutalach. And that's it. And you could do it day and night. It's not a very hard halacha, and that solves the problem of if you put back the the chal in the wrong into the dough again. It should really be the person who did it. In other words, the woman, if your woman did it, whoever made, whoever actually separated. But you could make it, and and, uh, and it, it should be done the person who did it himself, he or, himself, he or she himself, and can you can't send the shliach for you. Um, so you can't, uh, you can't have a father go for his daughter. However, a woman may say and send her husband because uh, and he's the owner of, the, of, the, of everything in the house. So therefore, a woman could send her husband to do the Hataras Nadarim on her behalf. It says, uh, it, it, it says uh, here, that he should not gather three men specifically for this purpose, but instead should find three men who are already together. Like, for example, in short, the davening, three men who are sitting together. Maybe they're talking together. Maybe they're not, but sitting together. So that would be enough. And then take off the holiday afterwards, and everything's fine. That's the, uh, the situation that uh, Rabbi Frankel explains. It's very well-known halacha. I've taught it many times. I see the time is up, and I wish everyone a wonderful week. We'll pick it up again next week. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kasha's Magazine. And if you'd like to reach us any time during the week to get information about the magazine or Kasha's Monthly or anything else that you're interested in talking about, you can call us at 718-336-8544, or you can reach us on the, on the, uh, with, a, with an email at Kasha's, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Until next week, have a wonderful week and much success in uh, continuing your kosher home.